Last week, we all got dressed up for the Easter story. And as we came and spent time together, one of the things that became apparent was that God wants us not just to dress up for Easter, but to be dressed in Easter. To be dressed in the resurrection and to wear what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we found out that everything that we do has meaning. Everything that we participate in has meaning in the realm of the kingdom of God. And so the challenge last week then was to live lives that represented that very, that very meaning. You see, this means that, that every gift that you give, every child that you adopt, every forgiveness that you offer, Every time that you reach out to someone who is in need, every time you take the time to listen to your spouse, to share the gospel message, these are opportunities where you do small things in the kingdom, but the ripple effect is that many people are changed and that many people are impacted because every single thing that we do has meaning. Now, one of the scriptures that we looked at last week was from Romans chapter 6. And I want us to start this week right back there in that very passage. So, if you'd like to open up in your Bibles, find the book of Romans. And we're going to look Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. It says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now that sounds great unless you don't know who you are in that new life. It sounds great, but if you still have an identity crisis, if you're still wondering, well, exactly what does all of this mean? It could just be frustrating. Paul continues. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. He says, listen, you were dead. But now because of Jesus Christ, you have life, and the life that you live is not just preparing you for some life to come. We said last week that it's not just pie in the sky when you die by and by. Instead, the life that you were created to live is a life here and a life that is now. It's a life that should have impact. It's a life that should have meaning. So he says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead. But now, you have new life. 
And all this year, we've been trying to answer the question as to what that life looks like. I mean, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to have life after belief? What is that walk supposed to be? And so each Sunday as we've come together, we've tried to walk through Scripture looking at lives of early disciples and finding out, oh, this is what it means to be Christian. This is what it means to be a disciple. Because we have questions and we wonder, as a Christian, will I feel different than I did before? When I'm a disciple, will I even recognize myself? After all, if it's not the old me, then who is me? It seems that this new life with Christ, it just comes with a built-in identity crisis. Who am I now that I'm a disciple? The grave clothes are being wrapped off. We look in the mirror and we half we have expect there to be some great voiceover announcer say, the part of Chris Barnett is now being played by Jesus Christ. And we go, oh, now... Now I know what I'm supposed to be about. At least that's how it used to happen in the soap operas. How many of you guys remember soap operas? Anybody remember those things? Right? Some of you? Like, oh, no, no, no. I didn't watch. Yes, you did. You watched. I grew up in the time of General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, All My Children, As the World Turns, right? One Life to Live. All these are ringing a little bit of a, uh, of a bell with some of you. And I grew up with these because I had a babysitter named Miss Omi. And Miss Omi liked... Her stories, that's what, she, that's what she called them. And so that means that I, I had a front row seat for when Luke and Laura got married. And that was awesome. Now for those of you who are under 40, I need you to think Zach and Kelly. I need you to think uh, Ross and Rachel, all right? Just, just to, to kind of get the, maybe the importance in your mind. But, but there was always a shared plot device that would happen in soap operas. Do you remember this? Whenever an actor was going to leave the show... That character would have some type of terrible accident. There would be some type of car crash. There would, there would be a fire. Maybe they would be buried alive. But, but they would be found in the hospital all wrapped up. And then you would wait and you would wonder, what's going to happen to him? Will she survive? And months would go by. And they would milk this storyline and you would tune in day after day and week after week until finally the bandages start to unravel and to be unwrapped. And there, you have a different person. Yeah, those of you that are laughing, you've, you've seen these shows, right? I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, all of a sudden, it's the same character, but it's a different actor. It's the same character, but they have different hair. It's the same character, but the voice is different. And then they always, they always had what? Amnesia, right? They did. Always had amnesia because the bandage comes off. And the first thing that said, they look around and they say, who am I? And then you have the voiceover announcer. The part of Dr. Drake Amore is now being played by Stone Phillips. And you're like, oh, no, not again. Because you got so connected with who that, that other person was, the other actor. You were so connected with, with their mannerisms and, and with the way that they looked. That was the person that you identified with this character. And now somebody else is playing this character. There is this new face. There is this new body. And some of you held a grudge. If you did, you're like, well, I'm just not going to watch that anymore. I can't believe they would do that to him. 
I can't believe that they would just write her off like that and just bring somebody else in. I'm just not going to watch that anymore. But guess what? You did. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you tuned in the next week and the next week and, and the next week. And if you watch long enough, guess what? The same thing happened to that person. And then the original actor came back. Remember how that would always work? Oh, man, it was always, it was great. That's what it feels like sometimes to be Christian. It's an identity crisis that we have. We look in the mirror and the person that we see looks, it looks like the same person, but doesn't talk like the same person. And it doesn't go the same places anymore and it doesn't have the same values and but it's just hard to wrap our mind around when we're trying to figure out exactly it is. Who are we now that we are in Christ? It's a question that we ask. And it's not just a spiritual question you need to understand. that This reaches deep into our soul. There are 50 million 20-somethings living in the United States. Do you know that? 50 million 20-somethings. How many of those 20-somethings do we have living with us this morning? How many of you? If you're in your 20s, raise your hand. Raise them high. Okay? Not quite 50 million. Listen to what Meg Jay, uh, Dr. Meg Jay, in her book, The Defining Decade, says about the 20-somethings. She says they are living with a staggering, unprecedented amount of uncertainty. Many have no idea what they will be doing, where they will be living, or who they will be with in two or even ten years. They don't know when they will be happy or when they will be able to pay their bills. They wonder if they should be photographers or lawyers or designers or bankers. They don't know whether they are a few dates or many years from a meaningful relationship. They worry about whether they will have families and whether their marriage will last. Most simply... They don't know if their lives will work out and they don't know what to do. Who am I? That's what they're saying. So you're not in your 20s. Maybe you're in your 40s. You've seen diapers and you've seen debt and, and you've seen divorce. Your days are filled with trips to the office and gym and to school plays, you've got one that's in college, you've got one that's, that's learning to drive. Right now, you're in the middle of your prime earning years. The, the slacker generation X label never really fit for you, and yet you look around and you see your peers, and you see how much you still have in common with your peers of your generation, and you ask, who am I? So you're not in your 40s. You expected that once the kids grew up, you would have time to yourself. But did you know that, after, that over the last 40 years, the share of U.S. children living in a grandparent's household has climbed steadily and doubled? From 1970 to 2010, now you have one in every 14 ch child in the United States living in a household that's headed by a grandparent. That totals 5.4 million children. Got any grandparents that are raising kids in here with us today? Anybody? You reach 62 
is the average age of retirement, but now you're re-entering the workplace. You work the counter at Barnes and Noble, or maybe you drive a truck from Chattanooga to Denver, and each and every mile you say, who am I? See, the answer to this who am I question splits across every single generation, every single demographic. It doesn't matter where you've come from. We all at some point in time look at our life and we say, who am I really? What am I about? And what is my, what is my purpose? And the answer that we come up with oftentimes depends on whose voice we're listening to. And oftentimes that voice echoes from the past, probably from decades ago. Maybe it's the words of an abusive parent who continually belittled you and, and told you that you weren't good enough and that you, you couldn't amount to anything and that you never looked right and that you could never be like your brother or your sister. Maybe it was a belligerent employee and that voice keeps echoing in your mind how that they were always on your case, always on your back. It's a bitter ex-spouse that you always hear, always criticizing, always nagging, always reminding you you did not live up to their expectations. It's a belittling boyfriend or, or girlfriend, that relationship that you thought was going to be the one, and yet nothing has turned out the way that you wanted it to. It was a bullying coach that said he was just trying to push you to succeed, but instead he pushed you closer and closer to failure because you never felt like you could be good enough. It was a small town gossip that wanted to make sure that everybody knew your business, that everybody knew what you had done, what had taken place in your family, how your children had acted. It was the rejection letter that you got. You wanted that job. You knew that if you got to that school, everything would be fine. And yet the letter that you says or that you read says, we don't want you. Maybe it was an online comment that keeps circling there inside your head. You put out a picture and ask what others thought, and it was the worst question you could have asked. Oh, they told you what they thought, and what they thought was, was terribly rude and, and mean and, and cruel. And now every time you look in the mirror, you don't see yourself, you only see the comment. Or maybe the voice you hear is not a human one. It's an inaudible scream from a scene that you keep viewing. Maybe it's the cover of Success Magazine that you see laying there in the office. It's an address down the street where the Joneses live. It's some image that's on the television screen. It's the reflection that's in the mirror every morning when you realize this is not who I want to be. The good news is that no matter who you've listened to in the past, God truly wants to tell you your identity. He wants you to know who you are. The moment we give ourselves over to God in faith, we receive that new identity. And each day, God's voice is the one that whispers in our ear, trying to drown out all of those excess, all that excess noise from all the individuals that are saying, here's what you should be. Here's who you are. Here's what it means to be a success. So who are you? Well, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and notice, I'm just going to talk for a minute to the church people, all right? I'm going to talk to those of you who are disciples, those of you who have said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I, those of you who have said you want to submit to Jesus, those of you that want to follow in his footsteps, trust him for salvation, I want to talk to you just for a minute, all right? 
Now, if you're here in the audience and, and you're not a Christian, you're not a disciple, you don't have to tune out, but you can check out. We've got a great website. don't know if you've heard about that. But you can go to the website, eastbrainerchurch.org, and, and just, just flip through that a little bit, and I'll call you back in here in just a minute. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a new person. You're a new person. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You need to understand, God sees you as a totally different person than who you were before you came to him and laid it all on the line. He doesn't see you as being patched up. He doesn't see you as having some kind of a makeover. He sees you as new. Who you were is not who you are in the eyes of God. And he told some Christians who were, who were living in a very, very different age, but in a, an age that is similar to ours, and just that people, people didn't have a use for God. And instead, people were trying to, to do everything they could to just enjoy life to the fullest, and they did anything that they wanted. And here's a message that he gave to these Christians. He says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or are drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He paints this picture, and he says, look in the mirror, and figure out who you are, and understand, if you're on this list, he says, that's not kingdom living. That's not kingdom people. But he doesn't stop there. Instead, he continues in his writing and he says, some of you were once like that. He says, you were like that. that. That's who you used to be, but it's not who you are now. He says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Who you were is not who you are. And so every time that you look in the mirror and you have this voice that wants to whisper what you did when you were a teenager, how you lived in your 20s, what you did in your first marriage, how you treated your parents, how you handled your business dealings, the way that you went into your 30s and 40s with no cares in the world, the voices that whisper, God says, no, that's not who you are anymore because I saw you. I saw you when you came to me broken. I saw you when you came to me believing that my son truly was who he said he was. I saw you when you washed yourself in the waters of baptism. And now you are new. So stop listening to those voices. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are also a child of God. Romans 8 and verse 15, the latter part of the verse says, You received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children, and now we call Him Abba, Father. See, God doesn't want any of us to have a doubt as to where we stand with Him. Author Max Licato writes this, and I love the way he paints pictures. He says, If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photograph would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring. He gives you the sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he's willing to listen. He could live any place in the entire universe, but he chose to reside in your heart. Face it, friend. He's crazy about you. I read the testimony just this last week of a man who struggled with alcoholism. 
And he went to an AA meeting and he stood up and he told everyone his name and began to walk through the choices that he had made that led him to the place that he was that very night. And there was a guest that came with him. His father had flown in to be here for this particular event. And after the man finished speaking, his father stood up and he said, I have never loved my son as much as I do in this moment. I love him and I want all of you to know I love him. And from that moment on, the man said he thought, if my dad can love me this way, then that means God can love me that way. And perhaps my wife loves me and maybe I can make this. See, God wants you to be confident in your relationship with him. God wants you to be confident as his child. He's not the kind of parent that you have to walk on eggshells around, always worried that you're going to do something to set him off. He's not the kind of parent that forgets a birthday or that may not remember to say, I love you. He is constantly affirming you, saying, you are my child. That's who you are. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're also a dwelling for God. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 19, says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Being God's dwelling shines an entirely different new light on our responsibility of taking care of ourselves, of our minds, of our bodies, of our spirits. A new motive comes in. Not that we're trying to look like people at the gym. Not like we're trying to be some fashionista on the cover of a magazine. But we care for ourselves because of God who lives and resides in us. And then it also provides for all of us a challenge and inspires us in our daily behavior. Because now we take God everywhere that we go. I mean, we used to be afraid that mama would find out where we've been. When you're in Christ, you realize, well, I'm taking God with me everywhere. And I think Christ and Mama somehow had a thing working, right? You're God's dwelling. God thinks enough of you to say, I will live where you live. I'll go where you go. I will be wherever you are. So what difference does it make? What difference does it make that, that God says, this is who you are in Christ? Let me give you just a few more things. We'll be done. Because of your new identity in Christ, you are free from condemnation. Romans chapter 7, beginning at the end of verse 24, says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. See, the Apostle Paul, he had been writing saying, I know what God wants me to do, but I keep doing the things that I want to do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I find myself continually doing. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he answers the question. He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life, notice that, the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because of your new identity, you are freed from this condemnation that always brings up what you've done, where you've been, who you used to be. Instead, there is now life. 
And this search that we go on, this search for meaning, this search for life, this search of hoping that we find out who we really are, most of the time our, our jump from, from pleasure to pleasure or from entertainment to entertainment comes from the fact that we get involved in something and there's something deep within us that just screams that it's not right, this is not where we need to be, it's not how we need to be acting. There's something within us, there's this voice that constantly just says no, no, no. And then we find out in Jesus that there's a voice that says you can live for yes. You can live differently. And you're free from condemnation of your past. It doesn't continually have to follow you around and haunt you. Because of your new identity in Christ, your worth comes from your position in Christ, not from your performance. Titus 3, beginning in verse 4 says, When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Friends, one of the saddest calls that I ever receive come from families when they have a member that's facing the end of life. And perhaps hospice has been called in and the family calls. And I get this more often than I can tell you. They'll say, would you please come and talk to my mom? Or would you please come and talk to my dad? And I go there to the house or to the hospital room. And they say, would you talk with them? Because they know that they're about to die. And yet they're afraid of what's going to happen. Because they're afraid they haven't been good enough. And I don't know where that heresy, I don't know how that heresy snuck its way into the church. But somewhere along the line, this idea that we can come to the end of our life and our relationship to God depends on our goodness and not Christ's goodness, it has somehow taken hold. And so now we have men and women who face the end of life without confidence. And Titus, when, it was, when he was written to here, he was written and given a message to preach that says, you go and tell people that they can have confidence when their life is over because of who they are in Jesus Christ. That because you've given yourself over to Jesus Christ and you've accepted the grace that God offers and you've lived in that grace, that you not only live in it, but you die in it and you are raised to new life in that same grace. Your worth comes not from, from your performance, but from your position in Christ. Here's the third thing. Because of your new identity in Christ, you can focus on building others up and not tearing people down. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. 
See, the more we know and accept who we are in Christ, then our behavior begins to change. And our relationships begin to change as they reflect our true identity. We will be set free to use words that build others up and not tear people down. To use our hands to reach out and to hug, not to hurt. To use our feet to bring instead of to take. To use our hearts to inspire and not conspire. As we love God and grow deeper in our love for Him, we will then understand that anywhere and everywhere we go, that Jesus goes with us. And we look in the mirror and the voice of God says, the part of Jesus Christ or the part of Chris Barnett is being played by Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ we have life. Now, I said earlier that some of you could just flip through the phone. I know you really didn't do that. I know that you were listening to the things that were being said and looking at what was on the screen about what it means to be in Christ and the blessings that you have there. You see, in Christ, there is life. Outside of Christ, Scripture says, we read it in the very beginning from from Romans chapter 6, it says that we are dead. And because we're dead, we search. We search for anything that might breathe new life into our dead bodies, might breathe new life into our dead relationships, might breathe new life into our dead career paths, and all these different things. And so we're constantly searching and searching and searching. And Jesus says, come to me, those of you who are weary. And I will give you rest. He says, I'm the one that you find rest in. Stop all the searching. Stop all the running around. Stop trying to find life in yourself or in your career or in other people. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And so let's end where we began. Psalm 139. A psalm that we find that God sees us, that God knows us, that God watches everything that takes place. It should be a comforting psalm. It should be one that brings us hope. It should be one that brings us fulfillment knowing that we have a Father who understands us better than we even understand ourselves. And yet for some, when we read these words and understand that God knows everything about us, it scares us. And so can I encourage you to pray the prayer that's here at the very end of this chapter. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all live for? The path of everlasting life? God knows who you are. God knows who I am. And the crazy thing is, he loves me anyway. Because when he looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees his son. Because years ago, I came to a point in my life where I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is truly the son of God. I've learned more since then exactly what that means. But I remember the Sunday night when my father baptized me because of my belief in Jesus. And and as I've grown, I've come to understand more about what took place that night and the commitment that I've made. And the commitment that God also made to me.
And it's led me to a point that I can stand here before you this morning and declare to you that I know exactly who I am. I'm God's. And because I am God's, there is no condemnation. Because I am God's, it's not about my performance. And because I am God's, I can treat you better than I ever could have before. Do you know who you are? Would you pray the prayer that's there at the end of Psalm 139, asking God to search your heart and to lead you in that way that's everlasting? Maybe you've been praying prayer similar to that and it's led you to a point where today that you want to come before this body and say, you know what, Chris, I too believe that Jesus is God's son and I want that relationship and I want that identity in Christ. We'll celebrate as you are baptized this morning. And if you have not been living your identity, if you've, been, if you've been living not understanding the identity that you have, then I pray that the things that we've looked at this morning has encouraged you so that you can leave this place with a new understanding of exactly who you are and what you are to be about and the confidence that you can have as you face whatever comes tomorrow. Before the lesson we sang, Just As I Am, hopefully it made you think about the person that you came here as. Now we're going to sing, I Am Mine No More. And may it remind you of the person that you leave here as. Let's stand and sing.